the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the, Fa the Father's Son be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much more to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. This is God's word. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. It's good to be here to bring God's word. Uh, over the last four years, uh, some of you might know, uh, until about a couple weeks ago, I was living a few streets down the road in Runcorn. And I'm at home a lot of the time during the day. Uh, so I get all these door knockers trying to sell stuff. And to be honest, I usually don't open the door. I pretend that no one's home. I run to the back so I don't have to talk to them. But there was one time, one time where the guys, they saw me through the window. So I couldn't get out of it. I heard a knock, I opened the door, and there was two guys, uh, one Aussie and one Asian. I said, hey guys, how are you going? And the weirdest thing about this, uh, the Aussie guy, he starts speaking, and he starts speaking in Chinese. <laughs> I actually don't know what he said, something about, um, do you go to church, do you know Jesus? That's how Aussie or Kiwi I am, I actually don't know what he said. I wasn't exactly sure, so I said, mate, can you just speak in English? <laughs> That's when the conversation ended, and he just gave me one of their booklets and walked off. I had, I had my suspicions, but it was only then when I realized, I looked at the booklet, it says, ah, it's Watchtower, it's Jehovah's Witnesses. They're one example of um, many people and groups who are intentionally spreading false teaching about God. In fact, we all know and have probably had this experience today from these sorts of people. 
And that's what the second letter of John is addressing. They're people, missionaries, teachers, probably people who were part of the church and had left, uh, probably people that the church even knew. And they're purposely roaming around towns and churches and intentionally spreading false teachings about God. And John's warning the church about these people, about the danger and about how to respond to them. It's pretty cool today that we get to look at a whole book from start to finish. It's the shortest book in the Bible in terms of verses. And it's actually written on one piece of papyrus. John's really getting to the point in what he wants to say here. It's like when you're writing a note in uh, a birthday or thank you card and you're running out of space and you just write down what's most important. We see this at the end of verse 12 if you jump down. He's probably reached the last line and he's got so much more to say and he just says, I'll save it for later. But this that I've written here, it can't wait. Uh, if we look at the letter as a whole, uh, we can split it up to its three parts of the letter, the greeting in verses 1 to 3, the body or the message in verses 4 to 11, and the farewells in verses 12 to 13. And the big idea that John wants the church to know is he wants them to walk in the truth. In verses 1 to 4, if we have a look, the topic of truth is everywhere. Have a look with me, starting verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And the reason that um, John writes this letter is because these false teachers, these deceivers, they were denying the truth. And through all this, John wants the church to walk in the truth. He's saying, don't give in, don't blow it. Keep living in the truth amidst a world that denies Christ. And that's what God wants us to know today. That's what he wants us to do. You see, we live in a world, when you look around us, that's increasingly secular, postmodern, pluralistic, ignorant, and gullible. And through this letter, John reminds us, don't give in, don't blow it. Keep living out the truth, keep walking in the truth, while we live in a world that denies Christ. So that's kind of the big picture overview of this letter, and we're going to track quickly through this passage, and there's five quick things that I want to highlight as we go through this letter. The first thing is found in the greeting, so we'll stay in verses 1 to 3. Uh, some quick details, the, the author here is John. He uses the title of the elder. Uh, it's a title of authority and respect. Uh, imagine if you got a letter or an email from any of our elders or pastors, and it says, the elder is writing to you, or the pastor, the senior pastor, is writing to you. You can tell that John is pretty serious here. And the recipient here is titled, The Lady Chosen by God, or in Greek, Electa Curia, the elect lady and her children. 
Some people think that uh, John's writing to a lady named Electa or Curia, or even that her whole name is Electa Curia. But I think it's pretty safe to say here that this elect lady is referring to the church. John's writing to a church. And John says that he loves the church in the truth. He loves the church because of the gospel that both he and the church, they both know and share in. In fact, all who know the truth, as we read on, all Christians love this church because of the gospel truth that they share. I've said this before, people gravitate to others because of what they have in common. People who like food talk to each other about food. People who like craft, they gather in craft groups. People who like to win become Queenslanders or follow the All Blacks. You see, as a church, as God's people, what we all have in common is that we believe in the same truth, the same gospel, the same saving message. For the church, gospel truth is the foundation of our unity. And that's the first thing that I want to highlight today. This is reinforced again in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. You see, because of the truth that we share, which is referring to the truths of Christ, we all receive grace, mercy, and peace from God through Christ. You see, gospel truth is the foundation of our unity. We gather as God's people today, ultimately not because we're a social group, but not because we like the same music, not because we're from the same background or cultures, but ultimately because we share the same gospel truth, that we're saved the same way through Jesus, and that we're assured of grace, mercy, and peace from God through Christ. And I think sometimes that we need to remind ourselves of this as we do life together in the church. The glue that holds us together is that we hold on to the same gospel. You, me, the guy on the other side of the hall, the Mandarin and the Cantonese, we all share the same salvation, the same truth. We're all on the same team. It's not us and them, me versus you. So let's not take our eyes off what we have in common, this objective gospel truth that brings us together. Because if we do take our eyes off, that's how a church fights, divides, and splits, when we take our eyes off the gospel that unites us. That's how false teaching creeps into the church. Gospel truth is the foundation of our unity. As we keep going, John jumps on a well-rehearsed bandwagon hobby horse of his, love one another. Some would say that John's got a bit of a memory loss problem and keeps bringing it up, but I think John is a pretty smart guy. He's probably been to QTC preaching class. Repetition, repetition, repetition. I can hear my lecturer saying it behind me. He even threatened to repeat the lecture again about repetition so we get the point. Repetition is used to make sure that the point is communicated clearly to the audience. And this is what John is doing here in his letters. It's a big issue for him, and it must be a big issue for the church. 
why else would John keep saying it and bringing it up? And I suspect that it's something that we need to keep hearing too. Uh, Have a look at verse 4. It says, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. Here John introduces the topic of his concern for the whole letter. It's about walking in the truth. And he's rejoicing here because some of the church are doing this. It means that they're walking the talk. They're practicing truth. You see, truth isn't just knowing the gospel, but it's actually living it out in your life. And I think verse 5 feeds off verse 4. He's saying, I know some of you are walking in the truth, but I love for all of you to. And here's how you do it. It's not something new. It's not what these false teachers are saying, but it's something that we've heard from the beginning, from Jesus himself on the night he was betrayed. It says, the single command in John 13, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you're walking in the truth if you love one another. You see, gospel truth is the basis of love. Knowing leads to living. Truth leads to love. Understanding that God has loved us, that in his love he saved us through Christ, understanding this truth leads us to love one another. And when we do love one another, we end up obeying his commands. When we love one another, we wouldn't want to covet or steal or commit adultery. We wouldn't do those things. We can't love one another and then break the commands at the same time. You see, when we love others, it shows that we live for God. And when we live for God, we will love others. Gospel truth is the basis of love. And we find out why John brings this up in verse 7. It says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. These guys don't even have the truth, so they won't walk in the truth. They won't love. But he's saying, you guys do, so walk in it. Keep living it out. That's what John's saying here. Gospel truth is the basis of love. And that's the second thing I want to highlight today. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think in today's church and in today's world, we tend to separate these ideas of truth And love, we think that they're incompatible, that truth is a rational, factual thing, and love is an emotional, feeling thing, totally unrelated to each other. And some churches, uh, they're slowly moving to this view that all that matters is love. Look at some of the Christian songs that are around, some of the books in Kurong, the teachings by some churches and celebrity preachers. The gospel is suppressed and suppressed, and all they have left at the end is love and no Christ, no saving message. Truth goes out the window. But John here, he puts them both hand in hand. They're both inseparable for him. Walk in the truth, to walk in Christ's teaching. It means to live out truth or to action truth. It means to love. Knowing truth leads to actions of love. And to love, 
means to walk in the truth. Maybe you need to shake up how you think about these two because John puts them both together, truth and love. Gospel truth is the basis of gospel love. As we move quickly to the third point, uh, every year or so, uh, I go down to Springbrook around the border uh, for church camps and conferences. And one year I was driving down at night and I was a bit tired. Uh, I actually overshot the campsite. I went ahead too far and I was greeted with this defeated words, welcome to New South Wales. <laughs> I'd gone ahead and I'd gone too far. I strayed outside of the promised land and I was in enemy territory. This, this is a forgivable sin, but if we think about going ahead of the teachings of Christ, uh, that's something that you definitely don't want to do. Uh, as we look at verses 8 and 9, John delivers a really serious warning. He says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching both has, has both the Father and the Son. The third thing from this passage that I want to highlight is that gospel truth is unchanging. Remember, John is speaking to Christians here. He's, he's speaking to us. He says, you've got the truth. You've worked at knowing and living the gospel. So don't blow it so you can receive your full reward. Uh, there's some debate here about what verse 8 actually means. Uh, is it about losing salvation? Is it about not being saved in the first place? Or is it not about salvation at all, but about heavenly rewards? I would cross out the first idea of losing salvation straight away, but both other views are possible and in play. Uh, either way, I think the seriousness is evident whichever way you look at it. John's saying, watch out, don't blow it. Uh, here are my observations. I think a full reward is talking about eternal life, and the opposite is described in verse 9 as not having God, which I think is about not being saved. I think John is saying, don't lose what we've worked for. Don't blow it. Don't find out that you were never saved in the first place, that you don't have God. You see, gospel truth is unchanging. If you go on ahead of the gospel and you go past the teachings of Christ, then you don't have God. This is serious business, and we need to watch ourselves as individuals and as a church. We don't want to wake up one day and find out that we don't have God, that we never had God. You see, the gospel doesn't reinvent itself over time. It's not progressive. It's constant, unchanging. We're all saved the same way. We all know God the same way, back then, now, and into the future. But unfortunately, we live in a progressive, postmodern society where anything goes. To say that there's a gospel truth that's unchanging is offensive to many people in the world. We're even prone to water down the gospel because of this. Just like before, we could say it's all about love. Another tune that we hear today is that there are many ways to God. My way, your way, his way, every way gets to God. 
everyone gets saved anyway. Let's not sing to the tune of this world. We need to hold on to the unchanging message of Jesus. Gospel truth is unchanging, and this is serious stuff. You might have heard this word play before. I think Daryl might use it sometimes, but I've reinvented it. No Christ, no God. If you know Christ, then you know God. But if there's no Christ, then there's no God, then you don't know God. We need to watch out. This is serious stuff. We don't want to blow it. So don't go ahead beyond the teachings of Christ. Don't lose what we all have worked for. Don't find out that you never knew God. You see, gospel truth is unchanging. So watch out for ourselves, for those around us, and for our church. John's giving a serious warning here, and it keeps going in verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I know about you, but this sounds pretty unchristian here at face value. Amidst all the teaching in the New Testament about being welcoming and John's very own words about loving others, are we really not to let the JW or Mormon door knocker into our home? Does it really go that far? How does this word apply to us today? Well, there's a couple of things that uh, we need to know about the early church uh, when this was written. Uh, we need to note that the church gathered back then in people's houses. Services, meetings, they were all in houses. And a guest who's staying at your house, it was a much bigger deal than in, the, in that culture than it is today. See, if you stayed in my home uh, back in that time, legally, I have to give you protection. Uh, you get the same status as me in the community, and I'm also known to my neighbours uh, for supporting, for endorsing, and promoting whatever you may bring or teach. So if you let a false teacher stay in your home in John's time, you'd be promoting, sponsoring, and supporting the work of this false teaching. You'd be giving them airtime and influence in your church gatherings in your home. You'd be endorsing and bumping up their reputation in the community. Or in John's words, he says, you're sharing in their wicked work. From this background, we can kind of understand why John's word here is so serious. You see, gospel truth must be protected. And John wants his readers to protect the truth, to protect the church, to ensure that it's only on about the teachings of Christ. No one and nothing else, not even a sniff, a sniff of an opportunity for these false teachers, so that no one in the church will will be led astray. This is John's context. Gospel truth must be protected. So what does that mean for us today? It's not saying that we shouldn't invite these visitors into our home, though sometimes it might be wise not to. I think John's warning here is about the church, uh, the church endorsing, supporting, and promoting those who don't bring the teachings of Christ as a church and as people who are part of the church, we've got to make sure that the people that we bring in, the organizations that we talk about and invite in, that they're about the teachings of Christ and nothing else. 
each of us need to be alert because any other teaching will lead people away from the truth. Uh, many years ago, uh, I was part of a leadership team in a combined teens outreach event. Uh, one of the churches involved, uh, their understanding of salvation, of Christ's work on the cross, was a little bit different to what we as a church would subscribe to. It went beyond the teachings of Christ. And it was a really unfortunate story, in my opinion. I raised this concern. Uh, none of the pastors or leaders were bold enough to make a stand about this. So this church, they gave leaders to help out in this outreach event. The night happened, and uh, there were teens in this follow-up room after the evangelistic talk. And there were teens who had responded to Jesus in this room, but they were being followed up by leaders who did not hold on to the teachings of Christ. I don't know what happened to these teens, but it was clear to me from then that we need to watch God and protect gospel truth. It's actually loving to these teens and to our church when we stand up against false teaching. We're a Baptist church, uh, and we all, each of us, uh, we all have a responsibility to protect the truths that unite us as a church, whether it's just keeping an eye and ear out for teachings that aren't of Christ, whether it's about watching the things you say, the books you share, the teachers you endorse, making sure that they're on about the teachings of Christ, or for those in leadership, to keep watch over who and what you promote in your groups and ministries. Gospel truth must be protected. It's pretty clear that John's tone is very serious here and to the point. But the last thing that I want to highlight here uh, shows John's pastoral and caring side, uh, and he wants us to take note of this. Uh, I was involved in FIGS, uh, youth ministry in this church for about five years, uh, and it really brings me great joy to see many of the teens, the boys and girls that I led and had an influence over, to see them grown up and con continuing to walk in the truth. Many of them serve in the 1030 service. Uh, they're leading, serving, and they're growing. And it brings me great joy to see them. And this is how John feels as he writes this rather serious letter. It's enclosed and underpinned by the sense of joy and this real care for the church. Remember, John begins with a note of joy in verse 4. John expresses his great joy after hearing of people walking in the truth. And John finishes this letter with an anticipation for joy. Have a look at verse 12. It says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. John ends with this note of looking forward to seeing them all walk in the truth, to talk about how to live godly lives, to celebrate their growth in Christ, so that our joy, John and his church's joy, will be complete. Gospel truth in action brings joy. And that's the last thing I want to highlight today. When you see someone in a church walking in the truth, living out their faith in Jesus, this ought to bring us great joy. 
I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be great if our church's atmosphere and vibe was marked by joy at seeing others walk in the truth? But let's be honest. I think most churches don't have this. Instead of joy, after service, we criticize how the service or the sermon or the meeting was. We gossip behind people's backs. We complain that things aren't like how we like it. We get mad because we've done our bit and the offering's still way under budget or there's still not enough people to serve. We focus on all these negatives. I know this because I hear this and I do this too. We do all these things and we forget to rejoice that people are walking in the truth. They're growing in Christ. They're serving him faithfully. They're being examples of him in the workplace, in the homes, in our families, our fathers in the church who are leading families like Christ. Gospel truth in action brings joy. So let's rejoice as a church as we see each other walking in the truth. As you get your cuppa and chat over morning tea, reflect and rejoice in how you've seen those around you walk in the truth. So as we wrap up quickly this morning, we've seen that 2 John is about walking in the truth. Remember that gospel truth is the foundation of our unity. It's the basis of our Christian love. Gospel truth is unchanging. It also must be protected and guarded in our church. And gospel truth in action ought to bring us great joy. So let's pray to that end as we finish. We thank you, Lord, that we can call you Father and that you've made yourself known to us through your Son. We thank you for the grace, mercy, and peace that you show us because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Thanks for the reminder that you want us to walk according to the truth, according to Christ and his teachings. And we ask that you help us to abide to his teachings, protect us from straying away, and guard us from those who seek to deceive us. Lord, we can't do this ourselves, so we pray that you'd work in all of us and in our church to this end. Help us, Lord, to be found as a church who is walking in truth and rejoicing in your saving work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.